Hey, I'm Aldwin. And I'm Jason. And this is the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. New balls, please. Why I didn't get excuse me? Can you talk louder so everyone can hear you asking me about my drugs? I mean, if we had Hawkeye, you would be so freaking embarrassed right now. Well, how come they can say whatever they want to me? Oh, it's all talent. I don't worry. I just sit on the couch. I don't want to look like I am I going to be his boyfriend. Ready? Play. Welcome to the Ready Play Tennis Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Aldwin. And we are here today to talk to you about the big three and beyond the big three. Ooh, you know what? You just came up with our episode title name. You just thought of that on the spot. Oh my God. <laughs> Who knew? Search for it wherever you find your podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but we wanted to dive in a little bit. And I know if we all, any of us who follow tennis on social media, are always engaged in this conversation and this debate about who is the best of the big three and we're looking at the stats and if you care about that you might be engaging in that conversation admittedly i am not at the moment i don't know about you (laughs) oh i'm definitely not (laughs) yeah so uh here at the ready play tennis podcast you will get a sense that our care factor is nil (laughs) with regards to who is the best of the big three. I think part of that is because they are still playing Mm -hmm. and it's still to be determined. Yes. We're, We're going to continue to assess their records and their health and fitness. And we're going to assess, you know, how, they do over the next couple of years roger perhaps a few less years mm-hmm. but uh there'll be much more time to do that and i think we're just not interested <laughs> <laughs> well and also it will depend on who retires first like i wonder if i was one of the big three would i stay in the game longer because the two others are staying or am i just going to make the decision because I've made $85 trillion, have 500 Rolexes from winning the Masters Masters 1000 series so many times. But like, am I going to stay because I'm still competitive or I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what, what they think. Well, I think Djokovic has been quoted a few times that he wants to beat their record. So I think he's been fairly clear on that. I kind of have this feeling that Nadal might retire first. Oh, even though he's 34 and Rogers turning 40, is he turning 40? Uh, I don't know, but he's must be really close. He's close to 40. So I don't know. I just feel like Nadal is is perhaps more prepared to retire. And Roger just wants to pick up those endorsements and play till he's 60. (laughs) I mean, Based on how terribly I played on Saturday as a 37-year-old turning 38 and just figuring out now that Roger's turning 40 or at least very close to it makes me like, can I just figure out how to hit a forehand? <laughs> <laughs> well, all, all them three know how to hit a forehand, as you can yes. tell by uh, their amazing stats. 
Um, so we wanted to give you just a baseline uh, before we start talking about some of the players here beyond the big three, because we, we all know that we're going to have to live with tennis uh, beyond that. We know we're going to have to attend events and buy tickets to see other players because there are <laughs> yes. a few others and some of them are good. Uh, so, uh, but we, we wanted to give a bit of a baseline. I think Aldwin is going to go through some of those yeah. amazing stats because, you know, despite us saying we don't care so much about who is the best of the best and who is the goat, it's without question that these three are the best and will likely be the best for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to give you some personal context, I remember around like 1999, early 2000s, seeing Federer with his long ponytail at Wimbledon. And I think my first real exposure to Federer was that match he played against Sampras at Wimbledon. I don't know what year that was. 2001? 2000, sure, 2001. And I just remember the commentators saying that this this guy was special, that he was likely going to be the next new world number one, multiple slam winner. But of course, you know, when you see the beginning of someone's career, you have no idea the degree to which someone like Federer achi- will, could achieve as much as he has. So, yeah, I just, what an interesting kind of contrast to see Sampras, who is obviously the best of the best at the time, face the future goat i mean or at least you know one of the goats of all time but anyway going back to the stats this kind of astounded me but 55 of the last 66 majors so what is that 66 majors four majors per year that is Ooh, simple math <laughs> you you're a grade school teacher you figure that's out. that's like 13 and a half years Ooh, so thir- incorrect thir- no, I think what is it's it? 16 and a half years. 16 times four. Is, yeah, you're right. 16 mm-hmm. and a half years. Yeah, so, I did grade nine math in grade eight and I did grade five math in grade four. So, <laughs> oh, did you do Kumon? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that, that doesn't bode well for my students if I have to teach math this coming <laughs> September. Um, anyway, the last 16 and a half years, only one, two, three, four, six players other than the top three, have won slams. So Andy Murray's won three. Vavrinka's won three. Andy Roddick won his only U.S. Open. Juan Martin Del Potro won a a U.S. Open, correct? Chilich won the U.S. US Open, and Gaston Gaudio ended up winning the French. Now, this is something I just thought of. Like, it's interesting that of all the slams for one of the top three to not win... It's the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. Do you think there there's anything to that? Do you think there's like fatigue? You know, the top three are tired. Like they've won the entire year. They get to the U.S. Open. They, they're burnt out. No, I don't think so. I think, I mean, maybe, but probably not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, there's the, yeah, there's not much more analysis from me on that particular point. <laughs> All right. Don't, haven't you played with Gaudi before? Have I played with Gaudi? Oh. Oh, with... <laughs> you mean you're talking about my medical condition? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, the the gout that's gotten me over the past five years prevents me from playing any tennis, let yeah. alone get out of my bed. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we, don't, we won't talk about that today. But congratulations <laughs> to Gaudi, 
who won? Gaudio. Gaston Gaudio. 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 Who won the French <laughs> Open in 2003? Yeah. Um, just a couple more points. So Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal have won all four Grand Slams between them in a single year on eight different occasions. So not any other player over the course of, well, consecutive, whatever, eight years did another player win a slam. Um, not only have they dominated in Grand Slams, but they have also a stranglehold on the Masters series, winning 56 of the last 80 titles. That's crazy. That that be crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nadal and Djokovic have owned the last two years, 2019 and 2018. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. You wait the Masters series. You mean the World Championships? The the, uh, the sorry the majors. They've won yeah. um, each. They've each won the last eight majors. So Djokovic has won five, and Nadal won three. Crazy. And I guess maybe the only, I, I think one other fact to, that's worth mentioning is that only Andy Murray, who is sometimes included the com- in the conversation if they talk about a big four, um, has been able to keep the number one ranking, uh, has been the only other male player to have the number one ranking. The, the 41 weeks that any one of those three were not world number one it was andy murray that was Hmm. so good good on him good on you andy every time i watch television coverage of tennis and you know there's those four photos scrawled across the screen and they're talking about the big four (laughs) i would always sort of look begrudgingly at the screen and say why are we calling this a big four i don't understand it but I'm starting to, as we did research for this episode, get a feeling for why he is often in the conversation. But, you know, I think at some point we need to decide, is it big three or big four? I've decided it's big three. Yeah, I think it's a big three. And I'm not even that big of a, of a men's tennis fan. But yeah, Andy Murray's accomplished a lot, but compared to like, he's not even close to a 10th of what the top three have accomplished. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sorry, Andy, just being honest. Yeah, well, Andy, what do you think about just removing yourself from that conversation? <laughs> Please email us at readyplaytennispodcast at gmail.com and let us know, Andy, what you think. I mean, if, if there's an argument to be made for a big four, you would also have to consider that. And I, again, I didn't know this until you let me know about it. But Andy is a double gold medalist. True. Yes, that's, you know, that's one of the reasons why I think he is often considered part of that group. He also has a, a fairly decent record in Masters 1000 events. I think he's won at least 10 Mm, okay. I don't know the exact amount. I did not prepare that stat for this episode. <laughs> You'll have to tune in in the future, people. The only stat that he didn't prepare. <laughs> <laughs> but I do know that he um, he has, mm. as you mentioned, won two consecutive gold medals once at, at his home court at Wimbledon when they played in 2012 and then in 2016 in Rio where he beat my boy Del Poe who was making his comeback. Yeah, and doesn't can't doesn't Andy Murray have that on Roger Federer? Like Federer has not won a singles gold medal in any Olympics. 
Ooh, that is a good question. I don't think he has. I I think Nadal finally won his gold medal at what was 2016 Rio. No, Andy Murray won in Rio. Andy Murray won in Rio, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think Federer's won a gold medal. I know for certain that he won with Vavrinka the the gold medal in doubles at the last Olympics. Right, but not so, singles. But not singles. And there's not many players that can say that they have something over Roger Federer because <laughs> right. Roger Federer's won everything. Yeah. Yeah, and but Murray has made a lot of finals as well. Like, he's made the finals uh, of the he's made the finals of the u.s open sorry of the australian open five times and lost every time oh man and he made uh the finals of wimbledon in 2012 and also was the winner obviously in 13 and 16 Mm -hmm. uh and he made the semifinals in like eight or nine other slam events so what's the what's the third slam that murray won then if he won two wimbledons he he his first slam was the u.s open what see oh my god and who did he beat do you remember Ooh, that is a good question i just i don't remember andy murray's record very well but uh yeah i remember lendl coached him for a while i actually watched this really interesting youtube i guess there was a charity event there was a youtube match that they televised where Andy and was playing doubles against his coach and all he tried to do the entire match was hit him. <laughs> <laughs> so Andy beat Novak in Ooh. five sets. Cray cray. Yeah. Okay. That was his first breakthrough. So, you know, w- within the context of this episode, we will incorporate you as part of the a big 3B <laughs> you're the th- you're the three B. <laughs> I like I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> um, so what else do we have in terms of stats that make them the most amazing players ever in the history of all time? Yes. Well, okay. So if we're gonna talk about slams, we we talked about slams. We talked about um, a stranglehold on the Masters series. Now let's talk a little bit about the number one ranking. So here we go. Of the last 834 weeks, and thankfully someone computed that, that's the last 16 years, (laughs) (laughs) Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal have spent 793 of those 834 weeks, which is 95%, ranked world number one. And Andy had the other 41. Exactly. Andy had the other 41. So, I mean, for the... So therein lies, I think, this idea of the big four, because he was number one in the world also for almost Mm -hmm. a year of those 16 years. Oh, really? Okay, so that definitely solidifies more of a big four. But I was surprised that Vavrinka, I mean, having won as many slams as Murray, didn't at least capture the number one ranking for a week. I I guess not. Yeah, no, I think what where Vavrinka's success was is his slam wins were sort of intermittent and there wasn't as many... Uh, big tournament wins in between. So he started his run at the Slams winning the Aussie Open in 2014. And I remember that match because Nadal was injured. So Mm. he... Nadal didn't have a chance of really coming back. So that was was somewhat of a gifted slam to Vavrenka. (laughs) Happy birthday. (laughs) Happy happy birthday. Your first slam is a gift. And then... 
he ended up winning his first Masters in Monte Carlo in t- that same year. Mm, okay. The French Open the next year in 2015. And I forget how Nadal got bounced or if he was injured that particular year and mm. didn't play. But so that's when Vavrenka won the French and then he won the US Open the next year. So it's it was sort of like I'm going to win a slam. I'm going to play at a year and a half more. Then I'm going to win another slam. Ah. Then I'm going to play a year and a half more. And then I'm going to win another slam. So um, successfully inconsistent. Yeah. At the slams. But, you know, up until Ah. that point, he he was 3-0 in his slams. Yeah. He was slamming that slams. I have an update. So Nadal in the 2015 French Open... He suffered a rare defeat against Joko. The and quarterfinals. There you go. Jogged yeah. your memory. You yeah. remember. So and, yeah. And and uh, Vavrenka was the eventual winner over Joko. Yes, that's right. I remember. I think he wanted to complete the slam. He was he was sort of uh, in honor of his Nona. He was trying to win the slam, and I think it was maybe his Nona's favorite tournament and he was he was really focused i think in those couple years to try and win the french because he hadn't won it oh that's sweet yeah you know he did it for he did it for for mama g for uh for grandma for grandma you know we've been beaten (laughs) on you Djokovic, the last few weeks but you really have you know a sentimental feeling in your heart yeah you know what i i again in the research for this episode i learned more about joko and how other players view well, there was actually one video that I watched about how the other players view the top three. And Joko, when you watch Joko, I'm always so surprised that he is part of the top three because his game really doesn't look like very much. But one player, I forget who it was, it might have been Opelka. Opelka or Isner or it was one of the American players. They said that he's like passively aggressive in that like his game is just unbreakable and he turns offense to defense to offense to defense probably the best of any player on the tour and I, I am so surprised because when you watch him you kind of he, he puts you in a lull at how kind of easy it, he makes it look you know kind of the same ball same pace all the time but girl she gets every ball mm-hmm. and she can do anything yeah I you're as you were sort of describing all of that, I was reflecting the on the heartbreak I felt watching <laughs> that U.S. Open final in 2018, and you know, really wanting it for Delpo, and at the end of the match, sort of seeing him crying because I think he he maybe felt in a way that this might be his last opportunity at a Slam, and Ooh. he he just ran into somebody who was getting every ball back and was not missing a shot and was painting the lines and moving Delpo around and he's a big guy and Djokovic is just more flexible and and has better movement so yeah just yeah he um funny enough Vavrinka he did an interview with Chris Everett recently and Chrissy asked him like how how do you feel playing each of the big three and Vavrinka said that he doesn't like to play Federer because Federer plays aggressive doesn't love to play Nadal because you know he plays aggressive in a different way saying that like hitting that forehand top spin with that heavy 
heavy spin consistently for like an entire match is so hard. But Vavrinka said, no, he could play Joko. He and he knows that 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 particular matchup is good for him because Joko doesn't really put so much on the ball and Vavrinka can, you know, overpower him and for for many shots. So um, based on his record, I can see why, because he's three and 23 against Federer. <laughs> he's three and 17 versus Nadal. But he hasn't won many more matches against Djokovic. He's six and 19. Mm, okay. But he obviously feels a little bit better about having won a few more matches and maybe a few more pivotal matches against Joko, mm. like the 2015 yeah, the FO slam. final. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one more story, one more detail. Maybe I'd be, I actually be curious to hear what you have to say. But, like, Joko, when he was interviewed and asked why he thinks himself – Nadal and Federer have such a stranglehold and have had so many accomplishments in tennis. It's that the experience of being in a slam final, they've obviously done it umpteenth times. And, you know, for a person breaking through, let's say, I don't know, CC Pass or Team or any of the group of up, up and coming um, torchbearers that will take the lead for men's tennis. To make your first slam final against someone that's been there 15 times already, like, you got to get over your nerves before the match even starts. Otherwise, it's done, I think. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a muscle memory and there's just a mental memory and mental experience that comes with, I think, doing those kinds of semifinals and finals over and over again that you can come in uh, without without the pressure until <laughs> you get to those places where you're starting to break records. Right, Serena? <laughs> Save that for our Serena episode. <laughs> Saving it for Serena. Sorry for all the Serena fans listening. That was I just, I, you know, she's, she's an incredible champion. We'll have more chances to talk about her in an upcoming yes. episode. I know we will have an entire episode just on her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But um, Murray is also, I think, considered part of that big four because his record is considerably better. Like he almost has a 50-50 record versus Federer. Like he's 11 and 14. He -hmm. has a bit of a more um, inconsistent record with Joko and Nadal. But he's, he's sort of up there in terms of the number of victories. And I think, you know, players like... Um, Vavrenka don't quite have those records against Nadal and Federer but I think it would be good to it would be interesting to sort of see what his path was in those title wins and whether he had to go against one two or three of those players because I think that that often is what thwarts people from making it to the to the semis or finals or winning the title I don't know if we're spiritually connected, like we're, we're tennis spirit sisters, but that is the perfect segue to a trivia question I had planned for you. And you know, I'm going to ask you right now, don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Okay. But you just mentioned that it would be interesting to see what Andy Murray's pathway to those titles would be considering well, whether he had faced one, two, or maybe even all three. But Jason Patterson, do you know, sir... Who the last person was to beat the big three in one tournament? 
Ooh. And can can you? Because I girl, I I know <laughs> I did I did my research, <laughs> and I mean, listen. And do do you happen to know what tournament it was? Was it a Grand Slam? Can you give me that? It was not a Grand Slam, but oh. I could. But there's a, a follow up question that I'm going to ask you after this one, that has to do with the Grand Slam. I I admittedly do not have an idea, but I should have prepared with that nugget of detail for this episode. That's okay, girl. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to coach you through this cuz I know you can get it right. So I'm going to give you a little clue. So you always say that Delpo is your teddy bear. Now, there was an actual teddy bear that was my teddy bear in like the 2000s around 2007, hint 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 from Argentina that I just wanted to squeeze all the time because he was so smushy and he was the guy that beat the top three the last and it's funny you mentioned that because i went to my first live tennis event in buenos aires and i got to see D- david nalbandian play david nalbandian yeah yeah he beat um so do you know do you can you guess what tournament he did it at well you you said 2007 correct it not a slam i he was not very good on clay, was he? Was it a clay court tournament? She's a big girl, so no. It wasn't, it wasn't on clay. It would have been a hard court event? Mm-hmm. Hard court event later in the season, I believe. It would not have been our our tournament, the Rogers Cup, no? No, no. It was, I'll give you a clue, it was in Europe, and I believe the venue... I'm not sure. The venue of this particular tournament changes, and it just so happened it was in this city. I'm not... uh, There's going to be dead air for several seconds unless you give us the answer. (laughs) Okay, so the tournament that he beat the top three, the only person... Well, no, the last person to do it, um, obviously Nalbandian, Madrid 2007. Ah, and it was not on clay at that time? It was not. It was hard court. And so I, I think it was a master's series. I mean, I'm. let us know at readyplaytennispodcast at gmail.com why Madrid was being played later in the season, but it was at, on hard court. I thought initially it might have been the year-end championships, but I could be wrong. Mm. Um, but yeah, now Bandian beat... So check this out. Now Bandian beat um, Nadal in the quarters, 6-1-6-2, routed him. Then beat Joko in the semis, something like seven, like six four seven six or six three seven six, and then lost the first set in the final against Federer six one, and that big boy just came back. He's cute. <laughs> well, at that time, Federer and Nadal were dominant, but Djokovic was not. Yes, he was that's sort right. of still in that vein of like complaining about conditions and he struggled <laughs> in the heat so if, if that was an outdoor event he was probably complaining it, it was indoor oh okay but i mean pre-pubescent joko hadn't come into his own yet and i mean but still he was at top three in the world at the time so big accomplishment yeah but it like you said it speaks to how dominant they've been that uh, nobody else has done that and i think you know the draw has to work out in such a way um, that that would happen and it wouldn't happen often obviously because they're p- perhaps meeting each other in the semis and so on but 
that's pretty incredible that it's been 13 years. Yeah. Okay, follow-up question. Who was close to doing it? Who was the next person that was close to beating Djokovic, Nadal, and um, Federer in one tournament? I, now, this time it was, a, it was at a slam. I gotta believe it's Del Potro. Oh, sweetie, no. Not. <laughs> Sorry. Sweetie, no. Sorry. Maybe Murray? No. Jesus. We talked about we talked about this guy recently. Okay. Is Czech, it par- Czech part- player? Czech player. Burdick. I think he's Czech. Burdick. At Wimbledon. You got it. There you go, hun. Two thousand eight. Two years later. Two thousand ten. Oh. <laughs> he lost to Federer in the final, right? Yes. Uh, or no. No, beat Federer and Joko before losing to Nadal in the final, I believe, for Nadal's first Wimbledon. Second. He beat the greatest <laughs> match ever was 2008, apparently. Federer. Federer, Nadal. Federer, right. Nadal, and Nadal won. And the lights were, it was really dark. Yeah. Yeah, Bianca's used to that. But, um... <laughs> Bianca, it was her... happy birthday, Bianca. We bought you that lamp. <laughs> Did you like the gift that I put on our story? <laughs> yes, it was such a beautiful lamp, ornate. Yes, just what she needed for her parents' um, basement. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So moving on, I think, you know, we've talked about these guys and their incredible records. Um, before we move on, I th- I thought it would be interesting to see, and you know, in in this analysis paralysis you can analyze this (laughs) stuff to death but i thought who who are the people who actually have winning records against these guys oh who have winning records yeah so there are there are a few players who have winning records Uh, actually there's more players who have winning records against uh federer than nadal and djokovic Yes, uh, I would. I would think though. So. I would think so. Yeah. So, um, in terms of active players, there's three active players who have winning records against Federer. They are Nadal and Djokovic, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Dominic Team. So, if you are swayed in terms of head-to-head records to decide who is the best, Federer would be losing. Oh. Um. Uh, for Nadal, it says uh, Novak Djokovic obviously has a winning record against Nadal. So if Nadal, of uh, sorry, if Djokovic has a winning record against both of those guys, mm-hmm. Nadal has also a losing record to Nikolai Davidenko. What? That's a name I haven't heard in a long, long time. Yeah, you know who else he has a losing record against? Who is not listed in this article? Oh, hold on. Robin Soderling? No, no, he is a a UTS competitor. Dustin Brown. Dustin freaking (laughs) Brown. Okay, I literally took a shot in the dark on that, which is just exactly how Dustin Brown plays. (laughs) (laughs) He is 2-0 against Rafa Nadal. Wow, WTF, girl. Yeah. That's cray-cray. And then Djokovic has... If if Ivo Karlovic is playing, he has a losing record against him. He's one and two against Ivo, according to this article. Oh wow! 
Evo Karlovich is another. I remember watching Evo at, again, maybe with you at the Rogers Cup a couple years ago, and it was the most boring match I ever watched. Yeah. So this, I think this site is uh, from late 2019 or mid to late 2019. So there might be some, some mistakes. And, you know, everybody, you can fact check us. It's fine. We're not going to get offended. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just, I just thought about this. And, you know, maybe you can chime in with your opinion. But, like, if we're talking about the top three and if there is going to be an eventual discussion of who the GOAT is, like, you, you, even though we've ragged on Joko for his personal choices over the past month and a half, you have to kind of give kudos to him because Federer and Nadal really came up, came up in tennis first. And for, for Joko, how many slams does he have? 17? 17. And Nadal has? 19. Federer has 20? Yeah. So for Joko to have amassed that many slams against Nadal and Federer, when Nadal and Federer had a couple of years where they were beating, like, fuck who? Like, Nicholas Lapenti? Some bullshit? <laughs> like, if, it, it seems to me that in terms of the quality and the value of the slams that Djokovic has won, he's definitely earned it more. Yeah, and I he's, he's um, won... Uh, a significant number like Steffi in a shorter mm. amount of time. Yeah. Compared to those two. Sweetie, say, okay, Steffi, you don't even know. I'm going to just, all those Serena girl, like fans are going to be, they're going to they're gonna think that like Steffi is the goat. Anyway, okay. We'll say that for the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on, we wanted to talk a little bit about the players of the now, the Who's going to be the big three beyond the big three? (laughs) Who's going to take up the torch and the mantle once they start to hang up their rackets? Yeah. Who? Okay. So who do you have a feel, a feeling for that? It's hard to say. You know, I think these guys have been so dominant that it, they haven't really left much room for, people to sort of make that push and be consistent. I think, you know, we're starting to see players like Dami mm-hmm. and Zverev, mm-hmm. players from the Adria tour doing really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, you know, someone like team has proven that he can hold his nerve and make deeper runs in yes. the Grand Slams, for example. So he's made three Grand Slam finals now, uh, mm-hmm. and he's transitioned. He was considered to be not so great a hardcore player, but he's transitioned well um, to be uh, a better hardcore player, you know, having won uh, in Indian Wells last year yeah, and making the Aussie Open final. Uh, and and taking Joko to five sets. So he is obviously one of those guys who is above Zverev for me. And then, you know, I think Tsitsipas and Medvedev are the other two guys who really um, are consistent. You can tell that they uh, care about about the game and, and the wins. And, you know, you know I how much I love Medvedev. So, yeah, um, I... I watched this great informative video. Uh, I think it was another tennis YouTube channel. And the hosts had asked a couple of 
world-renowned coaches what makes the top three the top three like the big three the big three and he was saying that you can always kind of guess the measure of a player once they achieve a little bit of financial success so for example i think about tomich is it tomich or tomic bernard tomic yeah from australia now, I don't know how many of you watched that expose on like the Australian version of 60 Minutes, but this guy is crazy talented. And uh, in my opinion, well, I think in everyone's opinion, has completely under, underperformed in his talent. Once he won a couple of you know tournaments, he just kind of cruised. Like he was happy to play on the tour, you know, made a, a deep run at a lower level tournament, really hasn't done anything in the slams, but he kind of got his money, bought his Rolex, Lamborghini, and is is cool. But what this coach said was that the top three, the big three still have such a thirst and passion for tennis. They still want to get better. You know, Nadal is still at the, at the backboards, you know, trying to do a lasso forehand, trying to win more titles. And, you know, when talking about this topic of the new the new crew of tennis players to replace the big three. I see that same passion in CC for sure. I see that same hunger and drive in, in team. Medvedev, I mean, I, I, admittedly, I don't know very much about him, but his run to the US Open final last year showed obviously that he had heart. But I think that those three are the ones to carry on the torch because they really do care. They, mm-hmm. want, they want it. Yeah, and just to let me educate you a little bit on Medvedev, <laughs> Okay, yeah. For a second. <laughs> Soar. Danili. Danili. Danili's 2019 summer was bueno. Hot girl summer. Yeah. So <laughs> he made the final in Washington, and he mm-hmm. actually lost to Kyrgios, I believe. Mm-hmm. He made the final of the Rogers Cup and lost to Nadal. He got trounced by Nadal. Mm-hmm. Um, he won in Cincinnati the next week. Then he made the U.S. Open final, and then he won the Shanghai Masters. So that boy was serious for so what is, summer 2019. So what is that, like 35, 40 matches, and he had three losses? Yeah. Yeah, well, that, yeah, I mean, if if the Cincy tournament w- and, and he was seated, he would have played five matches there, probably five at the Rogers Cup, five in Shanghai, obviously seven at the U.S. Open, and Washington probably five as well, so... Wow, Danili, yeah. I yeah, I I watched I remember watching that US Open final last year and uh, mist- uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he go down two sets and you talked about that last week? Correct. And I literally I turned it off. I'm like I'm done. It's over. He won he won and then like I turn on the TV again an hour later. I'm like this bitch got, just won two more sets. I'm like got to watch it now. Uh, it's funny you say that cuz I had the exact same experience. I was like, "Oh, this is over." <laughs> the th- start of the third set I turned it off and then I turned it back on probably like 20 minutes later and obviously I have a PVR box, so I was fast forwarding and got quickly back to live and it was just so good and now that i'm moving condos i finally had to delete the match oh so sad (laughs) but that was that was the top match of last year for me so i think and i uh, what i think is funny people he's got such an awkward game it Mm -hmm. looks like most of his forehands are never gonna hit the court (laughs) and he just (laughs) swats at the ball (laughs) honestly swatting is the perfect adjective for it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he's just 
I could not believe how quickly he and how um, his ability to just get to pretty much every ball. And they talked a lot about at the end of the match, Chris McKendry, who was interviewing, said uh, that to win a Grand Slam, sometimes you have to suffer and you suffered um, with Nadal in this <laughs> match. And that's, you know, that's what Nad- I think that's one of the adjectives or nouns that describes Nadal's play. He's like, who's who's going to suffer the most <laughs> to win uh, these <laughs> titles? And I think he proved that he can he can go with someone like Nadal more than perhaps any of the other new guys so far. I think yeah. I don't even think team has taken Nadal to f- to five sets in yeah. in a Grand Slam. Yeah, I um I remember when team made his first I think it was his first French Open final against Nadal. There was a lot of talk about a changing of the guard, and he got didn't he he got trounced three sets like not even not even a hope in in the world that he was going to get his first Slam title on clay. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and the, people said the same thing about Raonic in 2016. He's made his first final. This is a bit of a changing of the guard. And, you know, then he's laced with injuries. And, you know, wh- who, who knows? He's approaching 30 as well. How People like Delpo, like Raonic, are they going to be able to contend in these last few years? Nishikori. Nishikori, yes. We forget about him. Chilich. Like I think of Nishikori as the David Ferrer of his, of our time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, for, he made the final of the U.S. Open in 2014. That was probably his best chance, and he lost against Chilich, who was the you know first Grand Slam win for either of them. Yeah, I just I feel for these guys. Like I mean, even Fed, Ferrer, like Ferrer and Nishikori, I think have very similar game styles in that they're you know quick around the court retrievers. Don't necessarily have big weapons, but they have you know a lot of endurance, and they just ended up playing tennis in the wrong era, <laughs> mm-hmm. unfortunately. Yeah, I think that sort of summarizes people like Delpo, Nishikori, Raonic. There's probably a litany of other players for rare, as you mentioned. And that's why it's interesting to talk about these new guys now, uh, because they are 21, 22, Tsitsipas, Zverev. Team is a bit older, 26. But these four guys, if you add Medvedev to the four, mm-hmm. they have the best chance and they are going to win Grand Slams. Yeah, I think so too. I have a question for you. So, you know, we were talking about Raonic. Raonic is clearly not a new player. Um, but where do you where do you think Chapeau and Auger Aliassime factor into this new guard? Do you think they're they've got a, a couple slams? In yeah, them? I mean, Chapeau has made I think two Masters one thousand finals. He at least made the Paris final last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he. I went back and forth. I kind of felt like Felix had more of an upshot, but now I'm starting to feel more like Chapeau does. I think Felix played well early on in 2019 and then Chapeau picked it up. Mm -hmm. So I would love the next rivalry to be a Canadian rivalry. These two. Yeah, I, I, I don't I can't speak very much to their drive and their motivation and their thirst. I don't know that I've seen 
enough of them to gauge whether they I mean I'm assuming that they would want that but um, I think that Chapeau and Felix in the mix of Team Zverev um, who else are we talking about? Medvedev and uh, who's the fourth? CC, of course. How could how could I forget the Greek god? Like they look like they could be part of like Chapo and Felix look like they could be like a top ten, top five, you know, c- kind of placement over the next five, ten, whatever, fifteen years. Yeah, no, for sure. I think at some point each of them will be in the top five. I do have to say that at the moment. Felix is mostly thirsty for his girlfriend. If you're following him on Instagram, <laughs> I, I, well, I think we're following him on Ready Play Tennis podcast. But he's see, that's the thing. Like you get distracted by so many by so many things, and right now he he likes his girlfriend a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, Felix, if you're listening, <laughs> you can definitely focus on your girlfriend during this time off. But we need you. We need you to really refocus. Come Cincinnati, which is happening in New York, and then the U.S. Open, because we need we need to fly that Canadian flag one more time at the U.S. Open, despite there being no fans. Yes, and sorry, just this discussion about Canadian tennis players reminded me that Carol Zhao, girl, we did not call you out on our O Canada special episode but you are definitely one of the tennis players that have made our country proud so and we know that we know that you've been watching our stories so send us a little message yeah keep it up and you know (laughs) speaking of tennis in canada Mm. fashik if you're listening oh god (laughs) i want you to continue your comeback trail in 20 in 2020 and i want you to come on the Ready Play Tennis podcast. Uh, Jeannie, uh, <laughs> not if you're listening, but I know you're listening. Um, I didn't mention it on our last episode, but I have a special day planned for us. Um, when you come back to Toronto, we can walk on Bloor Street and I can treat you to uh, Tim Horton's. I was going to say sausage McGriddle, <laughs> but that's McDonald's. <laughs> that's McDonald's breakfast sandwich. Um, and then we can go shopping at the shops and take a look in the Chanel boutique and see what's cool for spring for fall winter 2020 <laughs> and we can have a day then you can come back to my apartment and we can interview you <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun I that mean it's a sh- it, it would it would be a short walk Jeannie it would be a short walk mm-hmm. and um, I love you so much <laughs> <laughs> So we have digressed a little bit, but I do think these are the four guys for now. And, you know, if we can inject a little chapeau and a little Felix, that would be a good thing. Yeah, I think that I felt the same way as you. I thought that I've heard commentators say that they believe Felix has more talent um, but they and Felix definitely had more results earlier and Chapeau I, I mean the only reason why I knew Chapeau was because he slammed that umpire in the orbital bone <laughs> at that day da- was a, Dave, a Davis Cup I match so, yes. and I'm like what a what a dodo like yeah. who is this guy but then he started to have some results so I think both of them can win a slam just hopefully not like against each other in the final <laughs> mm-hmm. I think they both need to get that serve in check 
Oh God, yeah, I know, yeah. I, know I know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it'll be interesting to see how all of these players do. I will be particularly paying attention to Chapeau and Felix and Medvedev and Team. Mm-hmm. And maybe, well, definitely Sitsipas, and then you know Zverev. You, if you smarten up, we'll pay attention to you again as well. Yeah, I have a bit of a tainted I look on on Zverev, but CC I'm definitely invested in. You know, I think that as uh, major tennis fans, you and I are starting to develop relationships, histories, experiences with new players because, yeah, who knows how much longer the the big three will be playing. Mm-hmm. We need a new big three to emerge. So that's what Mm. we wanted to talk to you about today. And we hope you enjoyed this particular episode of the Ready Play Tennis podcast. What do we want people to do? We want you guys to, okay, first like, second, share. Share with everybody, like on all of your platforms. Don't be lazy and just share on one. Share on everything. Uh, Subscribe if you haven't done it already. And review review exactly <laughs> yes and tell your chiropractor because that's what i did today <laughs> told them to listen <laughs> oh okay i'm oh, sorry before we end this episode um thank you to our listeners in norway <laughs> <laughs> and the netherlands <laughs> we are now number five podcast in norway <laughs> yes keep listening people tell your friends all you norwegian folks yes and then share cross border share with people in finland sweden denmark's yeah. just across the ways yeah, we want this podcast to spread like a... Like, not like COVID. Not like COVID, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I left that for you. <laughs> and you just bunted it out of the park. Okay, everyone, see you next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, it's your serve. If you love this episode, be sure to give us a five-star review. And don't forget to share it with others and let them know what all the racket's about. See what I did there? And don't forget, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Ready Play Tennis Podcast. See ya!